from Coolidge, Arizona. We're pleased to be with you today, January the 22nd, 2023. And the last couple of lessons, the last couple of insta, uh, weeks, I guess we'd have to say, um, we've been looking at the question that's been posed many times over. Um, why do bad things happen to good people? That's the overview, but the um, the idea that comes from it is the idea of not having a firm foundation in the truth of God's Word being the catalyst to uh, eliminating this sort of thinking. We would have to say and agree that some very bad things have happened to some very good people in our own experience. We know that. We know it because we've seen it with our own eyes. Uh, we may have even experienced it ourselves. That's not the point. The point is, is the, the questions that were raised and the theological things that are said about such things now, as I mentioned uh, and have went over time and time uh, concerning <coughs> the, uh, the man Charles Templeton, who had been a preacher of the gospel but pretty much walked away from his faith, but as he lived his life out, he came up with two questions and he made, a, he made his uh, living, if you will, presenting these questions and talking about the issue of uh, can we trust a God that would do and be such a God. The two questions were this. Why is Jesus of Nazareth the only way to God the Father, meaning the only way that we can have salvation and, and live with God instead of perishing? Or number two, how can a God of love permit the world to continue in such suffering and pain? <clears throat> now, we've went over these questions. We've talked about them quite a little bit. But I want you to remember something that we should always think about first. God gave dominion to man, mankind, if you will. He gave man dominion of everything that we see on this earth. Genesis chapter 1, verse 28. It's in there, friends. And 
I think that this is a part of the misunderstanding. After the creation days, uh, at the conclusion of day six, God says this to all his creation, and God blessed them, that is Adam and Eve at this point, and said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the heavens and over every animal that moveth on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every herb producing seed that is in the whole earth and every tree which is in the fruit of the tree producing seed. It shall be food for you. And on it goes. But the idea of dominion has been lost. Now, dominion, having dominion of something also means that you have a responsibility for the dominion you have. That's the part of it that it's not like being the king and everything's for you and nothing's for anybody else because even that doesn't work very long. It works for a while. To be a king, you have people you need to take care of so you can remain king over them and manage the kingdom, so to speak. This dominion has great responsibility. And that responsibility was given to the creation that God had created, and that was man, mankind, which means men and women. And he said that let us create them in our image, in our likeness. So this is where we need to start with our questions. This is where we need to consider the idea that there, there really is, we have a part in this problem. Because we want to relegate this idea of uh, Jesus being the only way as to that's what people believe. But it's not just that. It's what has been said from heaven. And the scriptures are replete with that. We know that. And the other question, of course, is people are saying that, that God has uh, allowed wickedness in the world. But we know that's, that's not so. Because the dominion of the world has been given over into mankind. Now, whether or not we picked up the, the mantle of dominion and, and responsibilities, well, that's another point. Uh, many people don't want any responsibility whatsoever, and that's fine. But on the other hand, can they really complain when bad things happen to them? Well, I don't think so. So there's lots of ideas about this. But the, but the, the, the real goal here is for the person that has really been harmed, that really has been kept away from faith in God and faith in his son and faith in Christianity because of the thinkings of, uh, of men where they've accused God of making it impossible to uh, serve him and, and accuse him for being responsible for all the wickedness and, and harm and we have in, in the world today. And of course, um, until those questions are answered, until they're, they're dealt with, I understand people are going to have a hard way. Hard way to go, as they say. Such a such a major player in this, and it comes from both uh, the the side of uh, the you know saved and the unsaved. Is that we constantly talk about God as a plan for you, God's, and, and we had let we allow this introduction of, of predestination. He's got your mm -hmm. entire life planned out. You're saved whether you want to be or you don't want to be. <laughs> and, and so if if there's evil in the world done, done by his chosen people, then it must be God that's doing 
it's a total lack of responsibility, and that spreads out into all kinds of all kinds of places, right. especially in politics. Well, you're making the argument there. Uh, these are things that are with us today, the thinking. And, you know, I used to think many years back, and I spent a lot of time dealing with it and defending it, uh, creation, that is, because I thought the greatest obstacle to any faith uh, amongst mankind was the idea of evolution, the idea of the cosmic uh, um, explosion and, and the, and the you, you come from the goo and all that sort of thing. And I thought it was a great hindrance to the gospel because if that's the beginning what are we doing over here you know and I understand it and and obviously you know through the years um, we've got more and more aware of the fact that creation and special special creation as far as uh, intelligent creation as we call it is actually true and and the the Tenets of of uh, not of uh, uh, Darwinism and evolution and all have one one thing after another being thrown out the window, even by the uh, the so-called scientists of the world, because they've they've been found to be untrue. So these things are going on, but I really think as as the years have rolled by, and I've dealt with more and more folks and just lived a longer life that really these questions uh, the question we're dealing with in these lessons is just as much of an obstacle if not more because it is so personal with people so personal this affects people and nearly destroys them uh, and that is a great that's a great uh, harm to people that have to live under these the question and, and the not understanding and of course as I've said many times I know I believe the solution if you will the solution to all of this from where I sit and I know that it's not an easy thing to deal with is this the, the first point is to know God's Word, to know it. The oracles of God from the beginning to the end. And not only will you learn the history of the world, but you'll learn the ways of God, the nature of God, the nature of man, the nature of things within our creation. To know God's Word. And then we need to believe it. Knowing it's one thing, there's people out there that have memorized this word for word who quote you anything in it. But do they believe it? I don't know. I hope they do. But we are to believe it and then we are to live in it and stand for it. All these things are part of the elimination of the questions that were posed by Charles Templeton. Then, now, if this could be done on a large scale, you see, now the large scale is we're, we're trying to instill this kind of thinking into the world of men. If some way this idea could truly become overwhelming within the world of men, then, and only then, I think, we would see the suffering of the innocent and the good people, start to diminish. As faith grows, these things would diminish. Certainly the, the questioning of it would diminish, but I think we would see a true uh, nominal or uh, numerical diminishment of bad things. Bad things. Uh, and I believe this is the only way that it would ever really come to fruition in a way that people could say, you know, people are better than they used to be. 
That's never, we never hear that in our lifetime, do we? It's always, it's always, it's worse today than it ever was. But I don't even believe that. Because if you really study history, you'll find that the brutality and of, of mankind is almost unmeasurable in, in what has happened in the past. Neil, we've, we've had, you know, for a number of years now, we've had, even had cards made with the physical address of this building on it and our church with the two laws, uh, do all you agree to do and respect other people and their property. And you don't even have to be in the body to benefit from that wisdom. No, and it's just another step towards what I was saying. If people would do that, can you imagine the change in our culture? It would be incredible. It would be. It would be incredible. I, I don't. I think we would be overwhelmed with the result. So I think it's a logical thing to say. We can't put this on God. We can't put these things on to God. We have to understand that first we were given dominion over these things. Mankind. Now whether or not you, you meet your responsibility or not, that's, that's also not God's fault. Because the scriptures are clear. And, and we studied the, the passages. We studied the passage in, uh, in Genesis chapter 4, verses 1 through 9 where uh, Cain and Abel came with their offerings, and Abel's offering was wonderfully accepted by God, uh, and, and Cain's offering was, was not acceptable. God did not look at it. And then we find incredibly in the Scriptures that God speaks to Cain. and is concerned uh, about his, his state because, well, I don't know, can you imagine how Cain felt when his, what he brought was not acceptable to God? You know, we don't live in that world. We don't understand that, that, that situation. His countenance fell. I mean, he was emotionally distraught over this. And he, according to God, he was becoming angry. Who was he angry at? I think he was angry at God for, for not accepting his, his offering or sacrifice, if you will. God warned him, if this, if this thinking continues, that... Satan will overwhelm him and he will fall into sin. But if he turns around and does well, all things will, will, will be right once again. And then he told him at the end of the passage that he must rule over him. Cain had the ability to rule over the temptation, if you will, or the will of Satan and the attitude. He could change his attitude by himself. He could reject uh, the tempter's temptations. And he could get right with God. You see, I, I say, when I had this in a message a, a number of times, I would say that, Cain had all the tools in his toolbox to accomplish the task set before him. God had given him every tool, every ability that he needed to do exactly as he should do. So how is it, friends, that this now is God's fault that Cain killed Abel? We're, we're just not, 
we're not giving ourselves enough. Um, we're not thinking of ourselves in in a correct way. As as a creation of God with great abilities, God-given abilities, even even the likeness and nature of God Himself, if we will if we will live it. And of course the free will. And it's it's very clear through Scripture, as I've said before, God will not. He will not violate man's free will uh, when he, when they are responsible for their actions. We are are responsible for each of our actions, each one of us. Now there may be some circumstances involved that may modify that somewhat, but that's not for me to judge. Don't worry, God knows. But we are definitely responsible for our actions. And then we looked at a couple of other verses <clears throat> that dealt with this very thing. You remember the, the passage in First Chronicles where uh, King David's friend, uh, one of his uh, military generals, Uzzah, as they were transporting the ark from where it had been to try to take it back to to uh, uh, Jerusalem, actually is where they were to the tent. They were going to move it. David wanted it closer to the city. All all in all, but his friend was killed when he reached out his hand to steady it when it when the oxen stumbled. And what we found is, even though it looks it looks terrible. It looked like Uzzah was an innocent man that was only trying to help. I think that's one of the most powerful illustrations in the Bible. And then we find later on, and, and of course when this happens, David is completely distraught and he's, he's angry with God about it. Why would you do this to him? And then we read in the next chapter as David considers what has happened, he realizes that he was responsible to the regulations and the law given through Moses to the Jewish people of the first covenant. Failed to adhere to the scriptures. And in every point, that's right. He should have, but he he was in such uh, he was in such a state of uh, wanting to do something that he thought was pleasing to God that he forgot about God's word. And this, of course, comes right back to it, doesn't it? Is God going to say, oh, that's okay this time? Well, if it's okay that time with David, why wouldn't it be okay with me or you? That's not how it is, friends. That's not how God is the God that he is. His word is final. Now, if we want to talk about God's... Um, ability to be gracious then we would look at the Messiah that came into the world to remove the sins of mankind that's God's graciousness that's his, that was his plan all along but men needed to understand who God was and who they were and their responsibilities to him it all comes into this. And we mentioned the, this morning the idea of Calvinism. Calvinism has poisoned Christendom with their false teaching. And what's false about it? Well, what's false about it is that within their teaching, man is, has no ability to make a correct decision towards God, even though it looks like Cain did. And he was one of the first people. No, that, that's not so. It's not true. We have the ability. But we'd like to say we don't, wouldn't we? Because that lets us off the hook. Then it is God's fault. Yeah, then it is his fault. It lets us off the hook. It's the get-out-of-jail-free card. No, friends, that's not the truth. Each soul has an opportunity and a responsibility to do what is right. And the other point is, 
that Calvinism teaches that God has chosen those who will be saved and has chosen those who will be lost. Now, under a situation like that, why would anybody care one way or another? You, you have no responsibility for it when you, when you die, when this natural body is gone. You'll just deal with what's coming your way. Could you love a God that put a system like that together? Why would, why would the Calvinists think that we could? We don't find any of this in the Scripture, of course. These are all things to eliminate, in my mind, when I read Calvinism study, as I have over the, the years, I find that it is man trying to escape his responsibility towards God, his Creator. And everything that he does wrong, he would have done wrong anyway. He had no control over it. He is without real fault. So, what? He deserves to be blessed. <laughs> no. I, I, I don't believe it. The scripture is so clear on this. And here's the thing. We need to take it serious. Mankind has the ability to not sin and do evil things. But he must want to do what is right. And as I said last week, this is the, the picture of Jesus of Nazareth, who was a man. He wasn't half God and half man. He was all man with the spirit of the Son of God. He did right. The scriptures say somewhere in two, a couple of places that he was tempted in all points, yet without sin. Does that tell you that man has an ability to not sin? I believe it does. Now, I would say that Jesus, as it talks about the Messiah in the Old Testament, in, in Isaiah especially, it makes it clear that the Messiah knew to do right before the temptation came his way. Uh, now, that there is an issue to do there, but still, the temptation is still there. Still, the weakness of the, of the human flesh is still there. He was tempted in all points, all points, and yet without sin. That's how his blood was was, was uh, the only blood that could forgive the sins of mankind. Remember, that's God's, that, that's God's law. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness or remittance of sin. Yeah, and that, that, that point about tempted, the temptation, that's Hebrews 4.15. 4, that's in the mm -hmm. con context of his, his position as high priest. That's right. He's not, uh, uh, for we have not a high priest, uh, not able to sympathize with our infirmities. He's able. More he, than he able. He can sympathize and he is able. But because he was tempted in all things in like manner, but apart from sin in, in his life. A life of 33 years. <clears throat> How did you do your first 33 years? I mean, th this is what we need to think about. These are the things that are, are truly uh, the answer to the question and a solution for the problem. Now, as I have said, if mankind is so repulsed by the suffering and pain, then I think they need to cease their sinning and bad behavior. That'll be a good start. And I don't think anybody could argue that point. It could be done. But are we going to do it? To do it, we must accept. We must, as the scriptures make it clear, for without faith, it is impossible to please God. That's our goal. We must believe that there is a God. And from there, we move on through his word through his 
as uh, the oracles, if you will. So let's stop blaming God for our lack of love. You see, Jesus said of his Father, God is love. And I believe the Apostle John also said so. But th- this, was, this is a fact. Uh, now we can say that without, with all clarity because God is the definition of the word love, the, most, the highest form of love in the Greek. And I think there's, a, I, I don't know, 17 different Greek variants of, of the word of love. Um, there's, lots of, there's lots of things to know about love. And in the English, it seems like we got one. You either love or you hate. And there's, we don't we understand how come people are acting this way. We don't understand love, and we certainly don't even understand the other side of it. So get conversant with what love truly is. And you'll find that the agape love that so many Christians talk about, the, uh, the word, the Greek word, and even the thought of it wasn't even known until the writing of the, first, uh, the New Testament. You'll find that. I hope that's all written out in uh, Bullinger's um, concordance, uh, his Greek concordance of the New Testament. Wonderfully done with all the illustration you need and all the definitions of love, along with all the scriptures that they're used in. Study it. And you'll, you'll come to a better understanding of love. But this is not what we do. We want to blame God for our lack of love. The lack of love of our neighbor that would hurt somebody else. It's God's fault. Why doesn't he step in? But you see, we are masters of our own domain. We have been given this responsibility by him. And when we either don't care or fail at it, we're going to blame the one who gave us the responsibility. Friends, have you tried that in the, in the, the world we live in? Have you tried that, that method? Then you're given a responsibility when you fail at it or ignore it, you blame the person who sent you to do it? Try it. See what happens. It's not a solution to the problem. The condition of our world is due to our lack of oversight and care. I just think basically people don't care enough to have any oversight. Dominion is the the fact that if you told some people that you had dominion over, uh, over nature itself, they would consider you to be the worst of heretics and a very, very evil person. Because, you know, as I seen a woman in a grocery store or one time, she had a sweatshirt on that had a picture of uh, some uh, whales and a few other animals, and it said down on the bottom of it with an exclamation point, it said, respect your elders. And that was, that was, that was shocking. That was shocking. But friends, that's how people are thinking. Many people. Now, I understand there's a lot of compassion around the animals and, 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 and the uh, conservation of our planet. And these are all good things. But they all fall within the dominion of man, our responsibility towards it. It's, they are not our, our uh, master. They are our, our ward, if you will. Think about it that way. And if you do, you'll be far, far, you'll, you'll be, it'll take you a lot to harm your ward and your responsibility and ignore it. I have a, um, was there any other comment there uh, that I missed? Anybody have anything to say before I go on? No, what, what, uh, what I was going to say is that when you mentioned uh, blaming the person that sent you, I was going to say, what kind of idiot put me in charge? <laughs> there you go. You know, and, and it's kind of the same thing. It's, yeah. You know, in the end, we end up 
convicting ourselves no matter which direction we take. I mean, if we take the wrong direction. Yeah. And we, we try to blame human nature for our failings. And I think everyone, everyone has been down this road. Um, and it gets to the point where after you're thinking that way for quite a while, the next thing you're going to say is, well, that's just how I am. I lose my temper immediately. That's just how I am. No, I'm sorry. That, that doesn't work. That isn't how it really is. Now, that may be how you're acting, but you can change it. Why isn't everybody that way? Because everyone has a temper, and everybody handles it the, the way that they're handling it. But, it. but if you really don't want to lose your temper, do you? No, you really don't. So, I think a good illustration of, of this, what I'm trying to say is that the solution to this problem is to know God's Word, to believe it, to live in it, and stand for it. And if we do, things will go better. Let's go to Acts chapter 27. Acts chapter 27. I'll give you a little... Um, little uh, information about this. The Apostle Paul had been arrested in Jerusalem, taken to Caesarea where he stayed for a couple of years to stand trial, uh, falsely accused and all. But at his trial he demanded to be, to be heard by Caesar himself. And as a Roman citizen, that request was honored. So, there was a a journey by ship that was going to take place and, and the Apostle Paul was on this ship heading towards Rome. Of course, there wasn't any uh, uh, direct connection at the airport in those days. Uh, they went from one port to the next trying to avoid uh, the bad weather or, or whatever and that's how you made a trip. But... In uh, the 27th chapter, about verse 22, I was where I'll pick up, but a great storm had uh, come upon the, the ship because they had pushed on for Rome instead of uh, wintering in, in a port that they should have stayed at. And the Apostle Paul even told them, we, we should not go out into this, this time of year. It's called the Nor'easter that's in the Mediterranean. I've been in the Mediterranean. I didn't experience it, but it wouldn't have affected the ship I was on anyway. But uh, the, the thing is, it wasn't good sailing, if you will. Okay, in verse 22 it says this. Now listen to these, these words. Uh, listen to what Paul is saying to these people. Now these are mostly Romans. Roman soldiers and probably some slaves that are doing the rowing. And, but he said this, And now I exhort you to be of good courage. You see, they were all being worn down by this storm. For there shall be no loss at all of life of any of you, only of the ship. For an angel of God whose I am and whom I serve stood by me this night saying fear not Paul thou must stand before Caesar and behold God has granted to thee all those that sail with thee wherefore be of good courage men for I believe God that thus it shall be and it hath been said to me. Now, just in that passage alone, do you see where it covers some of the points that I talked about? About knowing God's Word and believing it and living in it and standing for it? Uh, it's all coming out of the mouth of Paul here towards these people. And you know what? These people are looking for a solution for a problem they're having that they know if they hit the water, 
they're not going to make it. They're not going to survive. They're looking for a solution. They are listening intently to what he is saying. And he's just told them an incredible thing. As it goes on, as, as the days go on, actually, uh, and the storm goes on, Paul notices that the sailors are trying to put the anchors out and things of this sort, and he notices they're trying to lower the boats into the water. That, that is the lifeboats. And Paul says here in verse 31, in the same chapter, Paul says to the centurion and the soldiers, unless these abide in the ship, you cannot be saved. Then the soldiers cut away the ropes of the boat and let her fall. And while it was drawing on to daylight, Paul exhorted them all to partake of food, saying, You have passed the fourteenth day watching in expectation without taking food. Two weeks they had not, not taken food. Of course, sometimes the stormy weather, the people lose their appetite. Not everyone, but some do. Wherefore, I exhort you to partake of food, for this has to do with your safety. So eating has to do with their safety. Why? The obvious reason, they need their strength. Yeah, weak. They need their strength for what is coming to them, coming upon them. For not a hair of the head of anyone of you shall perish. And having said these things and taken a loaf, he gave thanks to God before all, and having broken it, began to eat. And all taking courage themselves also took food. And we were in the ship, all the souls, 276. Having satisfied themselves with food, they lightened the ship, casting out the wheat into the sea. And when it was day, they did not recognize the land. But they perceived a certain bay, having a strand on which they were, they were minded, if they should be able to run the ship ashore, and having cast off the anchors, they left them in the sea, at the same time loosening the lashes of the rudders and hoisting the foresail to the wind, they made for the strand. This, this is a real sailing lesson here. And falling into a place where the two seas met, they ran the ship aground, and the prow, having stuck itself fast, remained unmoved, but the stern was broken by the forces of the waves. And the counsel of the soldiers was that they should kill the prisoners, lest anyone should swim off and escape. But the centurion, desirous of saving Paul, hindered them of their purpose, and commanded those who were able to swim, casting themselves first into the sea, to get out to get out on land and the rest some on board some on on uh, the things that came from the ship and thus it came to pass that all got safe to land now that's quite a story isn't it quite a story you know i like that paul is talking about he starts with speaking about everyone will be saved if they do what he says. And then we find later on the story that when it looks like they're going to have to leave the ship, that the Romans, the soldiers, decide they need to kill all the prisoners before they, they, they get off the ship. Now, why, why would they say that? Because, you see, they were responsible to Caesar for those prisoners. And if they let them escape, they would lose their life too. So you see, how the, you see how many different things come into this thinking? And yet, the apostle made it clear that, they all, that no one should, should, should die, that all would be saved. And apparently the centurion 
is really starting to believe what Paul is saying. Because he doesn't want Paul to be harmed or anyone else. He wants them all to be exactly what Paul had said, is to get on the shore safely. And that's just what happened. They all were up there. Now, at that point, of course, uh, the prisoners were still there with the, the Roman guard and the sailors, and all were there. So all was, was well, except they lost the ship and, and the cargo and whatever. But at this point, they would, they would uh, make it to Rome another way. They all, they all had to be in one place to survive. They all had to be. That's right. Fixed and, in that ship. And what does it come down to? What, what does it come down to? Let, let's reread this verse 25. The Apostle Paul says, Wherefore, be of good courage, men, for I believe God. And thus it shall be, as it has been said to me. One thing that they all needed to understand at that moment is they had to stay with him. They had to listen to every word he said and replay it in their mind. And I would imagine he was asked a number of times to repeat what he said. And I'm sure he did. So, when the Apostle Paul said, I believe God... Do you think he really meant that? Well, I, I'm, I'm very sure he did. But why? Why did he? And see, this is, this is what it comes down to in this lesson. Um, this is where we need to start, believing God. If we can start there, friends, we can do anything. I believe God. He believed God because of what he knew of God. You see, he was... He understood the scriptures. He understood the for all the way from creation to the Messiah and where he was at that very moment. He understood the workings of God. He understood all of God's promises and all of God's warnings and admonitions towards men. And he saw that everything that God had said was so. The both blessing and curse. And he was told from an angel from heaven the very words that he needed to hear to understand what to do next. And that's just what he did. Now, this is a, a pattern, if you will. This is, I believe, the pattern that we need to come to so we can avoid the idea of asking questions such as why do bad things happen to good people and uh, and the idea of uh, Charles Templeton. You know, the sad story of Charles Templeton was that he never did overcome these two questions. Not in his life. He never overcame these. This, this, this was uh, a terrible weight on him. And in 1996, he wrote a book, Farewell to God, was the title. And on June 7th of 2001, he died a very unhappy man with God, as he said in his book. He was unhappy. Now, is this how we want people to end their days with these questions and unhappy with their creator? Certainly it isn't. So I would, I would hope that taking us three lessons to get through this that should have been done probably in an hour, but uh, not by me. <laughs> well, Neil, I only have one question. How many souls are lost because they were lied to in the church. How many souls were felt betrayed and lied to? How many have we lost because of 
man's interference in God's word. Yeah, that's that's very true. And and you see, this is the the harm that that happens. Uh, can you? I mean, when you tell somebody that they're going to be healed or they're going to have all their problems solved by a prayer and it doesn't happen. What does that say? Now, to the person that says, well, then apparently God is either not there or doesn't or hates me. You see? But if they understood who God was through his word and even understand about prayer, they'd know that that's the worst thing you could ever say to somebody. And and then when you go back to the person that told you that, they'll tell you, well, you just don't have enough faith. Really? That's the theology of men, not, not the teachings of God. So, and that's just one illustration. How many times does it, does it go on one thing after another, such as that? If we speak... Friends, let's make sure that we're speaking the things of God. We're speaking the words of the Scripture. And in the church, speaking the words of the apostles of Christ and Christ himself. If we do that, we will be working towards eliminating all of these so-called bad things. We'll be doing our part, and that's where it starts with us. So we, we pray these things have been useful to you this day and uh, pray that you'll return next week as we come together once again for a study in God's Word. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.